RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Mission Log Supplemental, Episode 60, the one with your feedback and special guest Rod Roddenberry. Welcome to a supplemental edition of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Norman Lau. And I'm John Champion. You know the drill. Each week we pick apart an episode of Star Trek, except when we don't. That's when we get to answer some questions, read some emails, maybe have a guest, or maybe do all of the above like we're doing today. Now, as of this recording, we're nearing the end of Season 4 of Deep Space Nine, which seemed like a good excuse to reflect open the mailbag, and welcome our executive producer, Rod Roddenberry, on the show to have a chat. So welcome to our show, Rod. Hey, guys. It's great to be here again. Thank you. Excellent. So, uh, Rod, I know that you listen to the show you know, pretty frequently. I don't think you're always caught up with us on release date. I, I, that's the thing. Yeah. I've, I've listened to every show, but I'm just not always caught yeah. up. So I'm sure right now I'm, I'm a number of episodes behind. Yeah. Uh, but as far as, you know, here we are in season four of DS9. Uh, what is your experience overall with that so far? You know, I've heard a lot of people say, so, I mean, people have heard me before. I won't go through this too much, but, uh, you know, Deep Space Nine was always one of the outliers for me. Next Gen has always been sort of my baby. So I, I really wanted to see this is where this show, this experience, my experience with Star Trek, this is where I have an opportunity to grow and learn because um, I had not seen Deep Space Nine all the way through. And uh, people said, you know, it is a little slow at the beginning, you know, for a second, third, third season. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the fourth, it starts to pick up. And I will agree um, that it is picking up for me. Mm. Uh, I, I still, you know, being a little bit more than halfway through the first, uh, the third, uh, sorry, the fourth season, can't say that it's a, a, a favorite series of mine yet. But I am enjoying the, the characters. I'm enjoying their their evolution, their their growth. Um, um, so I, 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 it's maybe too early to say anything, even though I just said something. Sure, sure. Actually, you know what? Let, let me ask you something that this might be a little too insider. And I, I know that, you know, you only have so much kind of day to day contact with current Star Trek, which is to say right. almost no day to day. But, you know, you're there for the broad strokes. So a show like Next Gen, a show like DS9, we always hear kind of the the conventional wisdom on that, which is it took those shows at least a couple of years to really find their footing, to really mm-hmm. uh, start cooking the way we appreciate those shows. But when you talk about a couple of seasons back then, you're talking about more than 50 episodes. Okay, yeah, now, yeah. Modern Trek, you've got between 10 and 15 episodes per season. Totally, you yeah. don't have the luxury of 50 episodes to figure out what will work or what won't work. So are, are you guys conscious of that? Like, like is that part of the, the conversation at all? Uh, that's a great question. I, I don't – so it's – you make a great point because I don't think what I just said is – it's it's true to me and to me only in my relationship to Star Trek and Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Um, I am sure there are, are plenty of people out there that have loved Deep Space Nine all the way through. And this doesn't mean I've disliked it. I just don't put it at the top of my Star Trek food chain. Um, yeah. Deep Space Nine has been very entertaining. 
Um, but uh, I still, as of today, and, and seeing what I've seen, uh, next gen is still my my happy place. I go to next gen to feel good about Star Trek, the future, humanity, myself, um, Deep Space Nine. I'm I'm tremendously entertained, uh, and I'm not to not to say there's there aren't good messages in there. I, I just um, again, it's not at the top of my list. Yeah. Um, so. So you're absolutely right to say something like, "Oh, well, it didn't get good till its fourth season." <laughs> uh, that's probably unfair to say. Um, it just uh, hasn't been as engaging to me, and as memorable, and as uh, uh, hitting, grabbing, engaging um, as as. Uh, well, as even next gen, though. I mean, the, next gen, the first two seasons at least uh, are really rocky and and then you get into the third and, and, and... that's the thing i love tng yeah. and so it just depends on how much you love something yeah well i don't think they're the strongest i i'm fine with seasons one and two hmm. i mean i really am um i i can see it now stepping back having seen this the the, the next generation series a couple times i can see that it's it does progress and get arguably better um I just haven't had that experience. It's really going to matter when I'm when I'm done with season seven of Deep Space Nine and I've taken a moment and stepped back. I think that's when I'll be able to say, you know what? I see where it changed. I see where I really liked it and where I didn't like it. Or I'll say, you know what? The whole package is really good. And like Next Generation, it just progressively gets better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I, I hate to be so non-opinionated <laughs> in the middle of the road on this. <laughs> But I'm trying to be fair, as objective and fair as I can to yeah. to to it, because I've often said next gen is my favorite. Nothing else holds a candle to that. So I mean, you know, let me let me get to that point where I can say that for me, honestly. Uh, well, I tell you what, let us move along to some comments and emails because uh, I'm very curious to get both of your takes on some of these. Yeah. And um, I want to hear some for, of them. Yeah, for our audience out there, you know, we, we've, uh, we haven't done a supplemental like this in a long time, and, and I promise that we will do more. I think we're, we're trying to find the right groove in our production cycle here, and we've been doing a lot of um, – a lot of new things. Uh, we, we've been doing our live hangouts with our Patreon followers. That's been cool. Um, so our interaction is a little different than it had been in the past. And uh, I promise you that we have not uh, lost your emails. <laughs> we, we very much get them. Um, and it is absolutely true when I say that we read them all, even if we don't have a chance to reply to them all. I, I'm still going through things that came in like three, four, five years ago, because I'll literally I'll go through and flag it if it's an interesting topic to bring up or whatever. So I can go back and reread those and then kind of structure a show like the one we're doing today. So uh, they are being seen, they are being read, and uh, hey, today we're going we're gonna to address a few of those. I think the first thing right away, and we're going to talk sort of broad strokes about the show itself, our show, then we'll get into specifics, like episode specifics, but... Uh, Norm, how you doing? <laughs> I'm good. How, what, I'm what's good. the experience been like for the last? Uh, we've recorded 26 so far. We have recorded the entirety. Have we really? of, of season wow. four of DS9? Oh, wow. uh, yeah. So that's that's now more than 26 weeks worth so, of work. Congratulations yeah. to you, Norman. You've made it through a season. Of Thank Mission you. Log. <laughs> <laughs> it's been exactly, I think, what I what I wanted it to be, and, and what I expected. I expected to. 
uh, have uh, the opportunity to really go in depth and visit a series that I've never really watched in earnest before. And from an, a standpoint and from a perspective of, I think that's um, a little bit more matured since uh, when I was really into Star Trek. And when I say that, I mean, like, I've experienced a lot of things in my life that now uh, color the way that I see Star Trek and Star Trek messaging. And, you know, the the norm Star Trek fan of 22, 23 years old isn't the same Star Trek fan of 49 years old. We're, we're different people. So, you know, it's it's hard for me to to say like what I would have said about Deep Space Nine when it first came out, because I never watched it when it first came out. I didn't even really watch it in the interim, so I'm just watching it now, and it's a very eye-opening series. And uh, I think that uh, I've I've said uh, and shared my opinion uh, as best I could, uh, for, for better or worse, but uh, when when I was going through the uh, audition process with, with John and, and with you, Rod, the one thing that I did promise you is that I would be honest, because I want to give my honest opinion to the audience out there, what I think about these episodes when I watch them and how they make me feel and, and where they, you know, where they reside in my pantheon of Star Trek. And until I actually get to the last season and watch the finale, I really don't have a ranking for this series because I don't know where the next three seasons are going to take me emotionally mm-hmm. or spiritually or who am I going to be three years from now or three seasons from now when I get to what we leave behind, you know, or what you leave behind. So it's, I'm trying to do it, do it um, in as much spot objectivity as I can per, per episode of the podcast. I think that's the only fair way to go about it. Yeah. I, I you know what I do want to say, Norm, that uh, listening to you on the show, um, I do appreciate the, the degree of thought that you put into not just episodes, but scenes, character behaviors, things that happen on the show. Um, I don't want, it certainly wasn't a worry because we, we vetted the, the hell out of you guys. And, um, uh, but of course, we, we still don't know who you are when we're hiring you. Uh, but you really, really dig deep and, and pull things out that uh, I don't see, which I love, which I don't catch. And I, I just want to appreciate the the uh, the time you take and your dedication to doing it, because um, that's that's what Mission Log is for me. Uh, since it began, I loved having you guys analyze these shows and look at them from as many different points of view as possible and share those. And I come away from each Mission Log learning something new about each episode. And um, uh, I. I God, I, I don't know if this sounds condescending, but thank you for coming in and 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 pulling your own weight and and really helping expand and, and grow my appreciation for each episode. Oh no, that's that's very very complimentary. Not <laughs> condescending. <laughs> well, <laughs> the, the, the point: who am I to make this sort of assessment? Well, I guess I'm the executive producer, so I guess. Uh, but, but as a fan, as a fan, I appreciate it. Thank you, Rod. That means actually the world to me because. Uh, you know, it's it's a very daunting thing. Whoever you would have chosen to sit in this in this chair behind this microphone, it's uh, there, there's um, a reputation and a name to to uphold uh, for the Star Trek fandom. I mean, it's not, and I don't want to say this disparagingly to any other podcast, but any other podcast isn't the Roddenberry dot com podcast. This is your father's name's legacy of a brand, 
And with that comes certain expectations. And it's only, it's only uh, responsible for me to give as much as I could give to uphold those expectations. Now, I'm sure that fans will say, you know what? I disagree. I agree. I'm ambivalent or I'm going to roast you on social media. That's okay. But the thing is that at the end of the day, that makes me sleep well at night about this, this responsibility that I have is that I will give you 100% of, of my attention as I'm deliberating these podcast episodes and no less and probably even a little bit more. So if there's one thing that I can guarantee the audience that's listening is that you will get everything that I have to give to this podcast, but you have to be prepared for what I'm going to say, whether you agree or disagree, because I will be honest. And that's, that's the one promise that I have, or I believe that I have upheld uh, as my part of the bargain coming in. Uh, yeah. yeah. And it's great. Whether you agree or disagree, yeah. I, I hear it out and it, and it helps you grow. And no matter what. Any point of view will help you grow. Go ahead. Well, yeah, I, I want to kick off our uh, listener response. Uh, and, and trust me, this won't all be us patting each other on the back <laughs> because we're going to do yeah, let's get some, yeah, we're gonna, let's get some bad stuff. We're going to do the weeds here in a minute. Criticism. But, but I really want to start it off with this because it, this email meant a lot to me. Uh, this is from Steve Sheridan, who, Rod, you knew from before yeah. we started Mission Log. Uh, I met him shortly after we started Mission Log. He, he has been a friend and supporter and listener. In fact, is Steve somebody that you sent one of the original demos to before we even released? I, I, I can't remember, remember if he was that been. early. It could have been. Yeah. He's, he's a Mac podcaster. And yeah. I knew him back in the days when I used to go to uh, Mac World and those things. So, uh, yeah. Um, well, it, this was an email. He could that, have been one of the ones. He, he might have been, yeah. But I, I know it was from, from early on, and then I had the pleasure of meeting him through you, Rod. And he sent this email just to me and you, but here, I'm, I'm going to share it to the world because I can. So he said, Rod and John, I told myself I would hold off a couple of months before assessing how Mission Log's new co-host worked out. It turns out I don't need to wait the full two months, and I wanted to pass on my assessment of Norman as the new co-host. I really enjoyed Ken's style and approach to co-hosting Mission Log. I followed Ken for a long time on macOS Ken, and he is a friend. So when I heard he was leaving Mission Log, I was concerned how well a new co-host could fill the hole left by Ken. I have to say that Norman has been an excellent co-host with John. I was pleasantly surprised with how quickly Norman stepped up into his new role. He's very knowledgeable on the background and culture of Star Trek. He eloquently provides his unique viewpoints on Star Trek episodes with his own style. And his viewpoints complement John's to give us a well-rounded perspective on each episode. As an added bonus, his sense of humor and impersonations give me a chuckle every time. So well done, Rod and John. Your selection was outstanding. I'm looking forward to many more seasons of Mission Log with John and Norman at the helm. Very nice. Very I, nice. That was so nice, and and uh, like I said, that one just meant a lot because Steve's Steve's kind of part of the part of the family here. You know, we we've yeah. known him for yeah. a while, and uh, that's that's truly great. Yeah. May I respond to that? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so, Steve, this is for you. I appreciate what you said. So, as an added bonus to your eloquent and passionate response. To what I've said, thank you. And I promise not to sabotage the rest of the podcast episodes. Uh, I, I think it was pronounced uh, sabotage. Sabotage. Uh, so <laughs> so uh, now let's move into some of the iTunes reviews. And, and thank you for everyone who has been uh, participating there. There's never anything that 
I really was heavily invested in. I, I typically don't read them. And we haven't, uh, up until recently, really encouraged people to go there. But but we're we're doing it now. We're saying, hey, go there because, well, look, people need to find our show. The more people who find the oh, show, oh. the more eyeballs we have, uh, the more shows we get to do. That, that's just kind of how it works. So um, iTunes reviews are very important. Uh, obviously, the other platforms that we're on, like Google Play, uh, Spotify, et cetera, whatever your podcatcher of choice is, you know, I'm going to sound crassly commercial here. Go give it a like. Go give it a thumbs up. Share it. Share us on social media. We always need more people to come find us. So um, I tell you what, Norman, why don't you read this first one here? Oh, I'll get to pat myself on the back you do, a little you bit. You do. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, then I'm going to crush you after that. <laughs> awesome. You can't have the highs without the lows, right? Right. So this first... Uh, Feedback responses. Even better now. Five-star rating. On, you want me to do the whole, read the entirety? Sure. Okay. So, Dr. On The Go states, Norman's addition is a breath of fresh air. He has a sense of enthusiasm, humor, and just plain love of the show that can seem to be missing sometimes. Looking forward to coverage of the rest of DS9 and Voyager! Exclamation, exclamation. Two exclamation points. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and and maybe Doctor on the Go, you you didn't realize that. Well, then we've got Enterprise, then we've got the JJ movies, <laughs> then we have to figure out what to do after that. So, well, I just want to make a comment on that comment mm-hmm. though. Um, and and uh, Norman, not to say that you're you're not critical, but uh, I also always appreciated Ken's critical nature on these things because he echoed a lot of my sentiments when it came to. Uh, what Star Trek should be and what it shouldn't be. And listen, we all have our points of view on that. Um, so, so, uh, because uh, I, I, that, that comment that he made about, you know, point of view that Ken didn't seem to have, um, I, again, I, I think Ken had uh, his views on what Star Trek needed to be to be true good Star Trek, at least is his point of view, and I'll argue mine as well. Um, and so he was critical. And he looked at Deep Space Nine and said, you know, where is the optimism? Where is the hope? Where is this positive sort of inspiring nature of the show? Again, not to say Deep Space Nine doesn't have it, but in comparison to Next Generation, it doesn't have it as much or doesn't have the same kind of optimism that Next Gen had. So I, I, I do appreciate that. Um, yeah, I'll just I'll just leave it at that. Cool. All right, here we go. Uh, I, I'm going to I'm going to Bring this to you. I, I, I apologize up front, Norman. <laughs> but uh, no, no, not at all. Uh, see, Here we here's go. a two star from iTunes. Jeff mm-hmm. says, I've been listening to this show since they started. When I think about it, it astonishes me how much life I've lived since 2012 with this show as a constant. But the host's inability to get on DS9's level is flabbergasting. I thought it would get better when Ken left, but it's gotten worse. Norm, quote, putting on his writer's hat, genuinely embarrasses me. It feels like he's trying to promote himself, hoping people will ask for his writer's packet. They make CinemaSins level of nitpicks, and if a character has motivation they don't personally agree with, they call it bad writing. I seriously consider not listening to the show anymore, but keep going because it's been a weekly habit for me for almost 10 years now, and I hope it'll get better. Hmm. 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 
So uh, first of all, Norman, I would never ask you to stop with the writer's hat. I mean, that, that that's a... Uh, Honestly, I think that goes back to the very beginning of Mission Log, where sometimes I'll refer to as like the producer's hat, the writer's hat. What What is the thing that's missing for me? What's the tweak that I would want to make? I think that's fair criticism. I think that's a fair way to look at it. Um, and, and I know that we've done that a few times so far in season four, where a character motivation, a plot point, something doesn't click. Something just mm-hmm. feels like they were looking for the easy out to resolve the show. And we have this luxury of 20 plus years hindsight where then you can say, wait a minute, what if they had done this? I think that's a fair piece of criticism to level at a show. This is also an opinion show, guys. I mean, obviously, this is yeah, your opinion, yeah. Norm. Um, so mm-hmm. when you put on your writer's hat, it may not uh, be the same writer's hat this guy puts on. So Maybe he just doesn't the like the it. Detroit Tigers. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. You know, I mean, in all, in all honesty, and I'm sorry, Rod, I didn't mean to uh, no, speak no, over please. you. But, but, you know, I, I understand what Jeff is saying. And and I think that this is going to be a little bit of a challenge for maybe the both of us, John, mm-hmm. as we're moving through Deep Space Nine, because Deep Space Nine has a very passionate fan base and very loyal. And I can understand that some fans will become defensive of their ownership of the show. I, t- I completely understand that. I do that with different series as well. How dare you? You know, how dare you? And I can understand his concerns. Now... In the, in the psychoanalysis of, of what he wrote, he's not sure if it's gotten worse because there's a question mark as opposed <laughs> to an exclamation point. So he's not quite sure where he falls with this criticism. I think he's still kind of on the fence. And I think that he's essentially saying, I think I'll give it a chance. He says, I hope it'll get better. Mm-hmm. So hopefully it will for you, Jeff. I can't guarantee that. I'm going to be the same person with that same writer's hat. And I'm going to keep delivering the message that I believe I need to deliver. Now... If it if it is a formatic issue, you know, and I'm not uh, adhering to you know, being openly honest and critical about my assessment of the show, that's one thing. But if it's about your opinion and my opinion coming into conflict, that's, I think, me doing my job correctly, is that I have an opinion, you have an opinion. If we don't agree, I think that's fantastic. We're not all supposed to agree, but we are supposed to converse about it, which I think we are trying to achieve that here. Yeah, I'd love some examples of of where what you've said with your writer's hat on that he's that he's objected to or disagreed with. Because um, I'd love to dive into it because I just want to understand his point of view as well as yours and be able to look at the two of them. There are a couple that I I wish I remembered specifically, but there were times that we've gotten to the end of an episode where you or I have had a big problem with the resolution. With, with what I, and you've given it some thought and said, but what if they had done this? And it's just like, aha, that's the solution that they needed. And look, I remember one. Uh, I remember okay. one. Which one? Yeah, one one that you liked, and it's a it's an episode that's probably um, probably uh, garnered us probably the most controversy of any of the episodes we covered, and that was from Hard Time, mm. where O'Brien was tortured. And at, at the end of the episode, I really wanted miles to to use this um i think it was called the ichaya the the almost kind of like that that mental exercise that oh, he learned from his right, friend right, right. 
And is this the where he had the invisible friend or the yes. guy yeah. Kept yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. He learned uh, a meditative technique from that friend, and I really wanted him to return back to Molly and to Keiko at the very end and teach Molly that uh, mm. that meditative circle that he learned, and because she wanted to draw with him like the entire time during the course of that episode. Yeah, and I thought it would be really healing for Miles to be with Molly and him start drawing that with finger paints or whatever, like almost subconsciously. And then when Molly said, where did you learn that from daddy? You know, he would say from my friend, sweetheart, yeah. that would have really healed him and brought that process together with uh, his friend that he killed from prison to healing himself with his family through the use of that, that icon or that, that mental exercise because they made such a big part of it at the beginning of the episode and never really did anything with it at the end. But that doesn't right. ruin anything for the episode for you. You're just saying, oh, it would have been really nice, a nice book and a nice way to end this episode if they had just done this. And That's I what think, I would have liked, sure. Yeah. But the yeah. gentleman's note is he's criticizing, well, I don't know if criticizing is the right word, but he's, uh, yeah. he's saying that he doesn't necessarily appreciate or like the fact that you are sort of adding your own, this is how I would write the ending better. Maybe he's a writer. Yes, <laughs> for, you know, you know, uh, writers are, are, are fairly you know critical thinkers, and mm-hmm. you know, for the most part, and and maybe when I bring up these ideas, again, you know, with with Deep Space Nine being as as sacred of a series that it is for some people, um, with the way that you know Robert Hewitt Wolf and our Stephen Bear and Ron Moore, I mean, these guys are at the top of their game at this time, and some people believe that they can write and do no wrong, and that's okay. It's just that. For me, I would have been in tears at the end of that episode if Miles started doing that. Just sat down and he just like dipped his finger in paint and started drawing that circle. And then Molly mm-hmm. comes up to him. I would have been like, how yeah. healing sure. of a scene would that have been? Sure. But that's me. That's me. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I get that and I appreciate you, you doing that. Um, but I also sort of get the – I don't want to say I agree with the gentleman who wrote the comment. But um, – the show is there to analyze what's there and to interpret and stuff like that. And I personally like your little footnote, your little ending, your little like, but I would love to have seen this. That is a nice addition. And I'm willing to accept that. I could see someone saying, listen, I don't listen to this to hear what you, how you would rewrite the episode. I listen to this to hear how you analyze what's there. That's fair. So, yeah. It's fair. I mean, again, I'm not I, criticizing you, but I, I can see those too. I, I, I kind of look at it like this. I mean, we, we have, again, this benefit of hindsight where you've got a writer's room full of people 25 years ago trying to figure out the show that they were going to make. They, they made a series of decisions, thousands of decisions to end up with what goes on film and, and then goes out to the world. And at that point, you're abandoning your project. Once it's done, yeah. once... What do they say? A script is never done? It is only abandoned. It's just... Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. yeah, or, yeah. So you're, you're getting your art out there to the world. It no longer belongs to you. It belongs to the people who watch it, who absorb it, who debate it, who pick it apart. Um, and I think that is a fair kind of criticism to say, oh, you know, if somebody had only come up with this idea or if they had made this moment more emotionally resonant by doing this. That's what makes people better writers. That's what makes people better directors or editors or actors or whatever. So you, you go on to do the next thing and I, I'm not going to call it a mistake, but again, the series of decisions, you make different decisions the next time you do something. 
Yeah, I would say, Norman, if you were sitting there always saying, like, you know what, I didn't like this episode. They should have done it this way. They should have done it this way. And then you did it. Then I'd, then I'd probably be more on, on this gentleman's side or his note. But at least you're saying, okay, let me put on my writer's hat. And you're saying you're, you're taking us to a new section. And so uh, maybe this person can just sort of plug their ears when that happens or skip forward when you when you say you're going to put on your writer's hat. So I'll trigger him Anyhow. with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm putting on my writer's Let hat. Let us know there, you're putting on your writer's hat and we'll stop listening yeah, if, yeah. We, if we don't want <laughs> I, I want to skip ahead to uh, a couple more here that were uh, back-to-back. Uh, so there's a five-star from uh, Pookie Jazz. I hope I'm getting that right. It's a form of jazz I'm not familiar with, but I'm interested. Uh, Five stars. I've always enjoyed Mission Log, and the addition of Norman has been terrific and made it even better. Thank you, Pokey Jazz. And then uh, the flip side of that, one star review from Colin Kingsbury says, I've been a listener since September 13th, 2012. Hey, shout out to Space 1999. I gave the show a chance after Ken left, but it just isn't working for me. Uh. I think that's fair. I think both of those are fair. Uh, I'd love to know way... why. I mean, like what their reason is, but that's it may, it's just well, well hitting them right. I mean, look, uh, the, the way that we are subjective or, or we are offering up subjective opinions about the shows that we're reviewing, there are any number of reasons for a listener to like or not like sure. what we're doing. And uh, it's gratifying to hear both, quite honestly. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know? I think one of the things that I, I had to reconcile with, you know, when I accepted uh, coming onto the show was that I know that Ken's going to have a very solid, stalwart, loyal group of fans. I mean, of course he would. You know, he was doing it for seven years with John. There's Penny. Penny put it, uh, one of our <laughs> Patreon subscribers put it in probably the most perfect and succinct way. We are the Van Hagar version of Van Halen and not the David Lee Roth version of Van Halen. John and Ken were David Lee Roth, and then John and I are now Sammy Hagar. There's going to be fans that will say, like, Van Halen died when, you know, uh, was it 5150 came out? Yeah. That was it. You know, no, you know those, 1984 was the last great Van Halen album for me. And then people are like, no, no, no. You know, 5150 and everything that came after that, that's the true Van Halen. That's when they were really great. Right. Right. I think that's great that, that there are fans that are still strongly loyal and, and, and very vocal for, you know, for Ken's work. Hey, and, and to Penny's point, she said, I'm a big fan of Van Hagar. She said she was, uh, you know, <laughs> th- that she loves both of those iterations of that band. And hey, you're not wrong, Penny. <laughs> when are we going to get to the comments that are, uh, listen, I've been listening to the show since 2012. I've always hated John. And you know what? I still hate John. Yeah, I, I mean, those... De- well, well, that was the one that you left, Rod. Uh, I think there, there was one here from R. Roddenberry. Uh, yeah, you said something like that. Um, no, look, I mean, uh, we, we've all sort of taken our, our slings and arrows. Um, I, yeah. I do want to... Uh, and, and by the way, you know, we're, we're doing this specifically because this is time to reflect with Norman. I mean... In the seven previous years of doing the show, the emails that came in, the comments that came in, the very intense opinions that came in, uh, they, look, they were there. Oh, believe me, they were there. (laughs) And those got flagged, and some of them laughed at, and some of them got very heated responses. But, yeah, uh, you you, you take them all. Um, 
Norman, I, I'm going to call you out on something else here, which is that there was somebody, I can't remember if it was an iTunes review or uh, it might have been on Twitter, actually, just saying like, oh, I can't stand these impressions. They're terrible. I don't tune in for impressions, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so that there's a subjective take on something that doesn't work for you. But then I had to save this one, the email from uh, Scott Hockersmith, who I, I think it literally came in like the day after we got that really harsh negative criticism. Scott said, Norman doing Shatner's impression while reading Eye of the Beholder was the most amazingly hysterical thing I've ever heard. Norman, never stop doing that, exclamation point. Please, for the love of humanity, keep doing that. If you need a podcast to do nothing but Shatner singing Metallica, I will gladly pay for the domain name rights. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. And the only reason why I do that is because, you know, it's like I can't sing it for various <laughs> reasons. So you do the tone poem type of uh, you know, a performance that William Shatner is more famously known for. Um, and I would do something for you, Scott, but I, I, I hold myself now to only one impersonation per episode. So Okay, there you go. And that went to Steve. <laughs> but, but honestly, it, it's just to say that no matter what, no matter what decisions we make, it could be changing uh, a music cue, it, it could be making a segment longer or shorter, whatever. There will be people who say, I love it the way it is, don't change it. Or people who say, oh my God, this is the breath of fresh air. Why haven't you been doing it that way all along? Like no matter what decision we make, it will get received and interpreted by people in completely different ways. Um, yeah. I, you know, from, from the beginning, Rod, from the very beginning, you know as well as I that there were people who said, oh, don't, don't format your show. Yeah. Don't, oh, yeah. Yeah, don't have act breaks. And we got so much negative feedback about the computer from way yeah. back when. The computer voice, the computer is part of the show now. It, yeah. You know, that is a character on the show. So we stuck by our guns back then and said, yeah. here's how we feel strongly about the way this should be. And we know that there will be people who don't like it. And, and we're making a show the way we want to make the show for us. We're not necessarily making it for other people. Um, yeah. We are, but I'm just saying, since this is our show, we have to make it the way we would want to make it. And yeah. uh, and we live in a world where we have to go with the majority. And I'm hoping our majority of uh, reviews, and I'm pretty sure they are, are positive. And I, I'd say the high majority. And as long as we're doing that, uh, I think, and and we're not uh, <laughs> and we're not compromising. Um, what we believe the show should be. Uh, I am incredibly happy and thrilled and think we should certainly keep doing the show. Uh, if we were in a 50-50 area where we were getting a lot of uh, negative feedback, that would fall on us to look at ourselves and say, okay, we thought we were doing the show the right way. Is there a different way that we can look at or should look at doing the show? And we're not there, so that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's not to say that the negative feedback isn't important. And Absolutely. We do, yeah, we do take it seriously. We, yeah. uh, but at, at the end of the day, you kind of have to make a decision and say, okay, this sounds like a personal preference as opposed to something that really needs to be incorporated or not. We, we and and I know... Yeah, go ahead. No, go, ahead go, go ahead, Rod. Go ahead. No, no, no. We've said it before. We, we, I, you, you, the, the, the feedback is critical. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but t- tell us why. Try to give us like a good thought yeah. out. You don't have to have a college degree or, or be a professor. We're not asking for that. I'm just saying uh, I really don't like the, when John or Norman does this. Well, what, can you give us a little bit more? Is it the fact that mm-hmm. it takes you out of the zone because you were thinking about something and, and it takes you out and it disturbs your – I mean just get into the little bit of the minutia as to why you don't like it. First of all, that'll help. I mean, you figure it out. Yeah. It'll help us figure it out. And if there's something there that resonates with us, we'll be able to understand it more and say, you know what? This person didn't just say, I don't like it. They said, I don't like it because. And you know what? Their because makes some sense. So right. let's let's think about that. Right. So right. anyhow, sorry. And I think it's fair when, you know, and, and it's something that I can't, uh, I don't really have any control over. And that's like when people say, I really miss the way that John and Ken do the show. That was very much something that was uh, a comfort level for their day. Mm-hmm. It's like all of a sudden your favorite restaurant has changed the menu. Mm-hmm. And your mm-hmm. favorite dish, the one that you can set your clock to, you know you're going to enjoy it. And you sit down, you take that first bite, and you're like, what happened? Who did this? <laughs> right? Right. Who made this decision to change the cook in the back? Right. Taco Bell got rid of the double decker. How and I'm really dare they? upset. Yeah, I'm really. They introduced a whole lot of new things, <laughs> but they got rid of the double decker, and I'm I'm having problems, guys. Oh, give them a one star review. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I'm going to share one last one with us here uh, before we let you go, Rod. Uh, this one was just so. Well, look, it, I I don't even know how to set it up. This is from David Wilson. It was addressed to Norman. Norman, I want to commend you on your performance of the Amok Time fight music during your episode covering To the Death. Most people mistakenly sing that music in 4-4 time because that's what we're used to with almost all music. They end up cutting out an entire beat, but you, Mr. Lau, correctly sang it in 5-4 time. I'm a music educator, so I thank you for your accuracy. Keep up the good work. Now, someone has to explain this to me. Norman? <laughs> okay. So... Was it for was, when we were doing to the death? Yes, I think it was to the death. Yes, and it just uh, it it brings up you know these the visions of a mock time you know Kirk versus Spock you know on Vulcan or uh, on Gamesters of Triskelion. Uh-huh. I think I just started doing the dun 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 and you know that it's the fight music. Yeah, and I just I was just doing it the way that it was written. And he wrote in about it. I had no idea I was being correct. It's just, it's just an earwig. It's in my brain. And what's the wrong one? The wrong one is was that that last ding ding ding. I have whatever. no idea. I don't know. We, we, we don't even know, like, want to try because God forbid we get it wrong now. But uh, but from David, man, that is that is some incredible praise right there. Yes, so. yes it is. Norman, it just speaks to it, your accuracy. Yeah. Me, me too. I actually do wish I understood it because I don't know. I mean, common time is 4-4 four, four time in music, which yeah. is 1, 2, 3, mm-hmm. 4, you know, it's the waltz. Uh-huh. Uh, but I don't know what 5-4 time is. I guess it's... It's a mock not, time. It's, it's a mock, mock time. time. Yeah, that, that's, how, that's how we understand music. It's like yeah. there's the waltz, there's, there's uh, everything else, and then there's a mock time. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So... Uh, hey, Rod, thank you for joining us for this bit. I uh, appreciate it. A- any other uh, parting thoughts uh, before you need to run? No, no, no. I-, I appreciate being here. And to all the listeners, thank you for continuing to listen. And 
and uh, we're we're continuing this show, and I'm looking forward to getting into uh, season five, although I still have to catch up uh, of Deep Space Nine. And uh, yeah, I, I I love you all, and you guys, congratulations, season four down. Uh, what year is it now? Thank you. Uh, is this year nine in total? Oh my gosh, are are we well? We're, we're eight. eight. Yeah, eight. We're, we're eight years in for okay. the show. Yeah, because because it's convention yeah. time, and that's when we started. Even though we're not going, I know, year. right? Well, so so August. in August of this year, we'll be starting our ninth year. Of Start the ninth. Log. There you go. Wow, crazy! Wow. Thanks everyone for keeping it alive. Yeah, look, I feel like I'm holding up pretty well for a 34 year old man. Um, you know. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> 34 you again? Look pretty good for 34. <laughs> you look pretty good for 34. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, Rod, thank you so much. And we're, we're going to move on here and really get into the weeds with some episode feedback. So uh, thank you again for your time, and, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Thanks Rod. Man. Take care. All right, so as promised, we will get into some episode-specific feedback here. And I, I know that we got a lot about hard time. That, that was definitely one that uh, generated a lot of conversation. Um, any others that stand out for you uh, from the last season, Norman, that were, I don't know, particularly compelling to you or, or you felt like you were particularly opinionated or our listeners were particularly opinionated? I think I was I was pretty opinionated on say episodes that dealt with Kira and Ducat because I really enjoyed their relationship and I enjoyed how uh basically just the the character motivations. Oh, you know, I also was very opinionated on any episodes that had to deal with the Maquis mm. because mm-hmm. I think I'm seeing the Maquis from a completely different context than than say other people that have really seen the progress of of the Maquis, yeah. and especially with I would say Eddington's betrayal and and um, was it to, is it to the death? Yeah. So no, uh, yeah. for the cause, and, for the cause. I'm sorry, for the cause. Yeah. yeah, for the cause, and and how I see his perspective on the Federation. Um, I think for me though, probably some of the best initial feedback that I got just back and forth with fans on social media probably was when I did the visitor because uh, mm. I pretty much had to bear my bear my personal feeling and my soul to the audience because of how important that episode is to me personally right so but yeah we have some uh, more contentious uh, disagreements I think uh, that's uh, for some of the things that we've said. And uh, maybe maybe I can start us off here with an email for one of those episodes. Sure. Go right ahead. So there's an email that came in from Elliot regarding a session. So Elliot wrote, Longtime listener, enjoying your content here in these trying times. I was very pleased that you took the episode A Session to Task for the very problematic message it ended up settling on. To my way of thinking, this is an endemic problem to the way in which the DS9 writers attempted to tackle the topic of religion. As you noted, the problem is not that the episode asks tough questions, it's that it provides troubling answers framed as quote-unquote correct by our heroes, Cisco and Starfleet. What I wished you tackled a bit was the role of the prophets in all this. You noted that a quorum interpreted their message according to his own agenda, which is definitely true, but what we are to make of the prophet's agenda. 
It seems to me that the prophets are not particularly concerned about the Jajaras or Federation membership or even the occupation. What matters to them is conscripting Sisko more fully into the role they've ascribed him. He is essentially forced to assume the position of emissary with more conviction after this point. I find it very troubling that Bajor's gods have such a specific and self-serving agenda in all this. It's not something the series ever addresses, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on the matter. Wow. Well, um, yeah, I I, I don't disagree here with uh, Elliot's take on this at all. And in fact, I I think I I kind of want to reserve judgment almost until we get to the very end of DS9, because I, I have a problem still with the whole idea that the wormhole aliens or wormholians, <laughs> I think as we've called them before, <laughs> um, trademark that right. wormholians, <laughs> um, that they are worshipped as gods, and uh, Cisco specifically and Starfleet by extension are sort of complicit in in maintaining this. You know, they are aliens who can be interacted with. You can fly a ship in there and go have a disjointed, weird, confusing conversation, but a conversation nonetheless, and understand to some extent what it is that they are and how they operate. But yeah, trying to ascribe motivation is a really difficult thing. And it is so specific, as Elliot points out here, like, oh, no, no, we, we, we want Cisco to be this thing. But what this thing is, we're just sort of leaving up to interpretation because we don't care about Dejaras or anything else. I, I, I feel a little in the dark here just mm-hmm. because it's going to, and believe me, yeah, yeah I, I, again, I know in broad strokes where we end up. I know where Cisco ends up. Um, but I, I'm still trying to figure out here if Deep Space Nine as a whole is taking a position or trying to make a statement about the faith of the Bajorans or about their relationship with the prophets. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to wrap my head around that until we get to the end and look at the whole thing in retrospect. I think that's, um, it's a difficult thing when you're dealing with something as kind of nebulous and or organic as religious dogma when it comes to the interpretation of it and the inconsistency of using it as a through line, the way they've done so or, or not done so, I should say, in this season. Because you don't really feel like, uh, with the exception of uh, the the episode where, where Kira is trying to uh, reconcile her relationship with Cisco when Cisco is uh, suffering from a major head trauma. And, you know, they, they come together. She comes to an understanding that he's not just the emissary, but he's my friend. It was in uh, Starship Down. Yeah. Starship Down. Mm-hmm. And there's there's kind of, they, they, they touch on it there. They touch on it on a session. But they don't really have a, a very strong through line about just the profits in general in this season. Now, I can't speak for any other season, but when you're dealing with something as, as particularly um, iconic as a, a religious uh, religious culture, especially with the Bajorans and the, the orbs and the prophets, you would think that there would be a little bit more dropped in from episode to episode to episode, just to kind of tie it all together, where Cisco's grappling with being the emissary as he was with a session. It's like they wanted to get everything that they didn't get in other episodes into one episode. That was a session, and it just left you with more questions than answered anything, I think. 
Yeah, yeah, I I do not disagree with you there. Um, I I also want to bring up here uh, that we got a great email from a listener named Paul. And I realize there are 900 of you who are named Paul who listen to the show. Um, And I want to revisit his message later uh, because it really inspired me to... Uh, to think a little bit bigger about this through line of belief and religion in DS9. So Paul, in his message about accession, he actually connected that episode with his journey into the clergy project. Um, so he and I have been talking, and uh, I, I want to do something with him and another guest. So stay tuned for that. But uh, the Clergy Project is a um, it, it's an organization that helps people who have lost their faith, but are still working professionally in religious institutions. So he, he has a a really specific uh, uh, set of experiences there that I that I want to delve into, and specifically because he said <clears throat> my understanding on Star Trek, my experience of Star Trek help lead me down that path. So uh, I think that'll be uh, a follow-up conversation to have there, but it, that was specifically tied to accession as well. So I want to move on now to, well, yes, the the episode that got the most email this season, and that would be a hard, t- hard time by far. Um, I'll kick it off here with uh, a message from Paul, uh, a different Paul, on Facebook, and then uh, we, we got a, a couple more after that. So Paul on Facebook said, It's in the eyes of the viewer and the fan. You two, and Ken before Norman, have debated it before. Why would the showrunners feel the need to tell this type of story? Because they wanted to. Is it Star Trek? Yes. It's no darker than other Star Trek shows have gone before. Every series has had its moments. Torture, sexual assault, murder, and suicide, different things will trigger different people. You have both discussed the connections with the original vision of utopian worlds of the Federation and Starfleet. Now, more than ever with Discovery and Picard, it's another endless debate. But if Patrick Stewart is playing Jean-Luc Picard, if Cisco has hair or doesn't have hair, if Archer is trying to figure it all out, if Kirk is playing poker against aliens and computers, it's Star Trek. As long as the characters remain true to themselves, the world slash universe can expand to fit the story. I have no problems with that. DS9 is not the next generation or TOS. It's the working man Star Trek, the most domestic. Interesting point of view. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, I think there's something about that, though, and and we we got into it. This might actually be where in our discussion with hard time, it it really kind of needled people. We did bring up this question to each other. Is it Star Trek? And and maybe I need to find a better phrase for that because Mm. I have a real worry about saying something that sounds like gatekeeping, you know, Mm. um, I want people who have figured out that they are Star Trek fans because they first started watching Discovery or the JJ movies or DS9 or whatever. I want all of those people to feel like they are part of the Star Trek family and the Star Trek fandom family in particular. So if 
DS9 is your favorite show and you're getting something out of that, that is awesome. If TOS is your favorite show and you're getting something out of that, that's awesome. So I, I even hesitate a little when I pose it that way. Is it Star Trek? And yeah, you know, mm. Ken and I did a, a panel years ago in Vegas called, but is it Star Trek? <laughs> and it was an attempt to figure out, are there certain prerequisites to say, well, it has to have this, 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 and this, other than just the name Star Trek on it, to count as Star Trek. It's, it's a difficult conversation to get into, because yeah. you automatically either limit yourself or the creativity, uh, uh, the, the expectation of creativity from the writers, producers, directors, actors, or you're limiting fans who say oh no but but i like this thing where i uh, this thing really speaks to me you know um so maybe figuring out another way to phrase it would be helpful but but to me when we got to that point at the end of ds9 uh, at the end of uh hard time specifically something about that scene didn't jibe with me it, it took me out of it and it's not because I can't accept a character's suffering. It's not because I can't accept that somebody would be absolutely stripped to the bone the, the way they did with Picard in uh, Chain of Command. You know, a similar parallel there in, in mm -hmm. these two stories. Um, but something about the resolution, something about the the the, the denouement in that, where where we have that shocking scene of uh, O'Brien with that phaser, it just took me out of the experience. Um, yeah, I I don't know how else to phrase it. It's a really difficult tightrope to walk when it comes to uh, doing what we do when we take an episode as obviously significant as this one when it and, and how we frame it uh in in our in our expectation of what we believe star trek is i mean you know this is probably going to generate another email but i think it needs to be said star trek fans of a certain degree like as we're doing right now with the responsibility that we have behind this microphone for roddenberry.com we can't just stand for nothing Right. We can't yeah. just stand for everyone is right and we're right. You're right. Everyone's right. <laughs> right. right? <laughs> you know, that's not yeah. that's not the way that that constructive and critical uh, conversation or discussing points of view can can teach anyone anything. You know, it's kind of like, um, why don't we just adopt IDIC for everything? Because I think that this axiom is true. If you don't stand for anything, you stand for nothing. Yeah. And I think that you have to draw a a certain um, you have to draw a certain definition for yourself of what this means to you or else your conversation's not going to go anywhere right and you're not going to be able to bring up conflicting points based on your experience because then our show would be just a of course of course of course, yes, <laughs> right. yes, right. yes. And is that really interesting to listen to? And that's not who we are as people with the experience of growing up with Star Trek the way we grew up with Star yeah. Trek. It yeah. doesn't nullify or negate anyone else's point. It's just that somewhere along the line, there's going to be a point in time where what we watch 
is going to strike a chord with us in a completely polar and opposite way that it did somebody else. And I think that's okay. But I think that it's also okay that we can say this is not this. Mm-hmm. Because we're not, mm-hmm. we're not saying this is not this for you. You must agree with what we're saying. We're saying that it just didn't resonate that way for me. Right. Right. And I think that's fair. Yeah. I think that's fair and I think that's honest. Yeah. Uh, why don't you read the one from uh, David? This is uh, right up after that one. So, yes, similarly from David, uh, another email for hard time. David said, There are many instances in every version of Trek where our humanity was stripped from us and we no longer had the choice to make the decision of our new mature state. Think of Picard almost breaking to the point of saying there were five lights. The Maquis are another example of people whose choice for the maturity of evolution was taken away. I believe that O'Brien was put into the same state. He is an evolved human, but the ability to stay as an evolved human was stripped away from him, and he no longer had a choice when PTSD took hold. I don't think it is going against Trek philosophy to show him pointing the phaser at his head. As a matter of fact, as I think more about it, this event symbolizes how in Trek we have matured, but when the ability to stay matured is taken uh, from us, we are still human beings with, again, as Kirk indicates, thousands of years of barbarian behavior behind us. Trek shows us that we can beat the thousand years worth of barbaric programming, but to a point. At the end, Bashir gave O'Brien the choice to realize maturity again, and he did, and will now throughout the rest of the series. I believe it is Trek at its best. Keep up the great dialogue. Cool. I, I, I have nothing to add to that, um, but I, I will just go ahead and go to the next email, which is from Clayton. Uh, Clayton Mansfield wrote, uh, The problem with the episode is that it told a 20th century story in a 24th century setting. I would expect O'Brien to have a better understanding of mental health disorders like PTSD and would have been less afraid of confronting suicidal impulses. And you'd think that Starfleet regs wouldn't allow him to return to duty in the first place unless he was cleared both physically and mentally. So while I appreciate the challenge of compressing the story to 45 minutes running time, I didn't find the episode as satisfying as it could have been. Since I am reliving DS9 in the moment through the podcast, I'll be interested to see whether this episode affects O'Brien's character going forward or whether the writers treat it as if it never happened. I hope that you continue to live long and prosper. Um, I think maybe Clayton is uh, better here at articulating what I was trying to articulate in our episode about it. it, it it's, it's not that that doesn't exist. It's not that the mental anguish, the PTSD and all of that doesn't exist. I've said it before. I want my characters to be complex and multifaceted. I want them to have problems that they need to overcome. Um, it felt like the telling of that story was more 20th century than it was 24th. You know, we we do have that scene at the end of Chain of Command where Picard is not pressured or cajoled or reluctant to go see Deanna Troy to now take on the next step of his recovery. We don't see that recovery. That's what happens behind the scenes and, and starting during that week that we're off before the next episode um, and next gen told stories in a more episodic way than DS nine does. But I, I, I think that was a more quote unquote 24th century way of 
resolving that. Yeah, I really like the way that that there's this juxtaposition between a 20th century approach to it versus the 24th century approach to to what O'Brien was going through. And I also like the, uh, the idea of him having to pass a Starfleet medical exam to return to duty. And I think that at least Bashir tried, but I think that, you know, Miles was, he was just kind of sloughing off all of the recommendations of him or people that, that care for him trying to get him better or trying to get him help. And I really wish that they pushed that a little bit more because uh, when he made that decision to, to use the phaser on him or to almost use the phaser on himself, at least maybe some of that counseling would have given him pause along with Bashir. It almost feels like Starfleet never had a chance to help him with all of the, with all of the, uh, the counselors and the medical help and everything that they could do to, especially with someone in the, the prominence that the chief has on Deep Space Nine, they would have done everything that they could have to have given him the help. And then if he still was suffering through this, then I think they would have really focused on there's something way more going on with the chief than just ignoring uh, ignoring um, the, the medical attention that he needed. Yeah. I want to wrap things up today with our last messages, actually a twofer uh, from Alan Simonis. And if you don't know who Alan is uh, on our Facebook page and then what I later share on Twitter, he does the weekly Riker meme. And that just brings me no end of enjoyment <laughs> every week. That <laughs> it's, it's the shot of Frakes from Factor Fiction with this quizzical mm-hmm. look on his face. And then Alan nails it every week with, with like... Summing up what it takes us an hour to do, Norman, he does in about, right. uh, you know, less than a dozen words. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah <that's laughs> brilliant. So, Alan, <laughs> thank you for those so much. But he really, um, these were in two email exchanges, and I pulled a paragraph from each uh, because I, I thought he really nailed something about sort of our take on DS9 and then some of the pushback that we get and also addressing this question again about is it star trek so the first one he wrote i think you guys have been doing a good job dissecting ds9 as for the online response i do find it ironic that you guys are getting pushback on asking whether these episodes reflect the values and standards of the franchise considering how the main selling point of ds9 from the fan base has typically been how different it is from the rest of trek that the characters don't always play by Federation rules and make hard choices. In any case, I appreciate that you guys are willing to have frank discussions about any and every episode. I hope it stays that way. And then the follow-up to that, he said, With the DS9 thing, to be honest, I do have some sympathy for the diehard fans. I'm 42, so I absolutely remember people questioning if it was, quote, real Star Trek, end quote, if it didn't have a ship, or if everyone's uniform didn't match, or whatever. Gatekeeping has sadly been a consistent issue in fandom, and it's unfortunate when anyone is made to feel like what they enjoy is less valid. But still, A, that argument was basically over 25 years ago. At this point, I feel like DS9 is well-regarded as any of the series. It's definitely one of my favorites. So to paraphrase the prophets, why do you exist there, Niners? And B, I don't get the impression that you guys ever ask, is it Star Trek, to be dismissive. If anything, it shows that you're actually taking the message of a show like Hard Time seriously when you question how they relate to the franchise as a whole. 
So I wanted to end with that because absolutely, Alan, thank you. Thank you for, for again, doing what our listeners get to do, which is honestly, Norman, what you and I do with Star Trek. Star Trek is made, it's done, it's in the can, it's out there for people now to pick apart. You and I yep. have our conversation about it, and then we're done. We get it out there for people to pick apart. And uh, Alan, I, I think you've really uh, hopefully reinforced what I feel here is that when we're asking this question, is it Star Trek, is not to say your favorite series is worse than the other series or your favorite series is better than the other series has nothing to do with that at all. It, it's mm-hmm. hopefully coming from an honest place to say, I walked away from an episode with this take on it. And here's why it delighted me or worried me <laughs> or didn't sit well with me, what have you. Now let's figure out why that is and try to somehow fit it into our overall experience of Star Trek. I mean, Norman, you and I are coming at this and as we always have on Mission Log, um, with a very basic understanding, which is we are Star Trek fans. Like, to be, we would mm-hmm. not be here doing this if we weren't fans of Star Trek. This would be a sure. crazy job to take on <laughs> if that were not the exactly. case. Yeah. It would be right. insane. Um, so we're starting with this place of appreciation already. And then what's interesting about it is to do this deep dive and go, oh, wait a minute wow, this really spoke to me because it resonates with my life experience or, or my aspirational experience or, or my beliefs or what have you. Or this other point really threw me for a loop. Now, how do I fit that in? Yeah, well, uh, let me take The Visitor again for an example. Is The Visitor a Star Trek episode? The Visitor could be any episode. Mm-hmm. It could be any episode of science fiction yeah. or fantasy. could easily be Twilight Zone or whatever, yeah. It is a masterpiece of writing, of acting, of everything that you want in in a piece of fiction that brings you nothing shy of perfection. But it has nothing to do with Star Trek. Nothing. Like, literally. Mm-hmm. I mean, you take away the, the, the trappings of uh, being on the Defiant. That could have been a different ship, uh, wearing different uniforms, clothed in different ways. I mean, aside from the, the actual physical... Uh, prop trappings and costume trappings, it has nothing to do technically with being a Star Trek, solely Star Trek episode. It has everything to do with being a great episode that touches you right in your soul. Now, is that one and the same thing? Perhaps, perhaps not. That's the, that's the depth of discussion that, that we are trying to bring when it comes to watching Star Trek episodes in general. Does it does it uh, resonate with us, one, in a Star Trek fashion, but two, does it resonate with us in just really, really strong and emotionally connective entertainment? And they aren't necessarily mutually exclusive, but when they work together, you get something like, um, let's say, the best of both worlds. Yeah. <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, or uh, I'm not, I, I just, I don't, yeah. I'm sorry, Deep Space Nine fans, I'm not trying to disparage the series. It's just that I don't know it as, as uh, verbatim as, as mm-hmm. many of you do. Uh, but, or uh, say like uh, the episodes with the bell riots. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, past um, tense. Yeah. Past tense. I mean, that's, that's, that's about as Star Trek as it gets, mm-hmm. right? You know, because you have the trappings of Star Trek and you also have the trappings of the moral story of the time. And in and, and jumping the timeline, I have seen Far Beyond the Stars, <laughs> which I think is probably one of the greatest episodes of television ever yeah. made, period. Truly. Truly. Right? Yeah. And again, 
that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a great Star Trek episode. It's just great that Star Trek is involved with that episode. Mm -hmm. So I'm not exactly sure where I fall with what Star Trek means as a, you know, trying to um, support what Star Trek means as a, as an overall fandom versus I think that there's so much Star Trek out there right now that you almost literally have to take it as a case by case basis. And the handful of things that are really meaningful for Star Trek fans that are the great episodes or the great meanings, the great morals and messages, they don't necessarily always apply to every single episode, every single series, every single moment, because they can't. That's a, right. I think that's a mathematical impossibility. <laughs> right. Right. It's unsustainable. But when you get those moments, like you're far beyond the stars, or like your damage in Enterprise, or like your uh, city on the edge of forever, those are, or, or like your uh, the inner light, mm-hmm. right? Those are the greatest moments of your fandom that perfectly synergize Star Trek and entertainment. And those are the episodes that really are worth really, really, really getting behind and analyzing what Star Trek means. Here, here. Hey, uh, before we go, um, I think everybody knows. So as this episode is released, we are just barreling right ahead to the end of season four of DS9. I can't believe it. Uh, And we'll just jump right into season five. Uh, The rest of the stuff is kind of going on in the Mission Log world and Roddenberry podcast world. Well, convention schedules are unknown. Many slash most of them have been canceled or uh, postponed uh, by quite a number of months. So always check back in with us and and we'll see. Hopefully we'll be coming to a town near you someday again when we can. Um, Mission Log Live will definitely return at the very latest as we near the start of season three of Star Trek Discovery or the start of Lower Decks whichever comes first but we'll uh, we'll be sure to drop in some live shows uh here and there to tide us over until then so if you're listening to this supplemental which is in the main mission log feed uh do yourself and do us a favor and also go over and subscribe to mission log live uh you can find that just by searching in your podcatcher for mission log live or you can find it at the roddenberry youtube page which is youtube.com slash roddenberry prod or on our facebook page which is of course facebook.com slash mission log pod and uh hey we'll do this again so keep those comments coming Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Our website and your opportunity to comment and connect with us is missionlogpodcast.com. If you would like to support Mission Log directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash missionlog. Enjoy all the great Roddenberry podcasts at podcast.roddenberry.com, where you'll find Women at Warp, Priority One, The Trek Files for daily Star Trek news, and Shabam! Shabam! And... For more Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.